you know, lower, and, and that's really a class issue, and, and race does come into play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And we are back. So my name is Alyssa Fuchs. I am here with Selena Hill and Tiffany Brown. We just finished talking about Beyonce's Lemonade, and then we did our news roundup. And now we are switching gears, and we're going to talk about the Great Barrier Reef. So, ladies, I have a question for you. When you hear that someone you love or somebody you care about or even a celebrity whose art you really appreciate, whether that be music or art or some other form of media, um, is very sick or is dying, um, how does that make you feel? It depends on who it is, but I remember when Michael Jackson died, I, th- I went through like a mini depression. Like I know I have family members that literally broke down and like I was crying for days. So I feel really sad. Tiffany? Same. I feel really sad. And we try to do everything in your power to make sure that person can keep living. No, absolutely. <laughs> so absolutely. Well, what I mean, and, and that's a great point. You want to do everything in your power to make sure the person keeps living. Well, what happens if I told you that the Great Barrier Reef, the largest reef on the planet, which has the ability to affect all life on planet Earth, is very sick? Would that concern you? How would that make you feel? And like, would you want to do something about it? I mean, absolutely. I already like at the top of the show, I said that it brought tears to my eyes. Like this is a major part of the ecosystem. This is something that all ocean like a lot of ocean life depend on. And we depend on ocean life, too, as humans for a number in a number of different aspects. So, of course, Tiffany saying, you know, I work for an organization that that's like our big, you know, causes the environmental concerns. Um so, of course, I would want to, for us as people, to really, like, start talking about this. But I also know that when we talk about, you know, the environment, how can we, like, you know, contextualize it in ways that everyone can understand and get the urgency of why climate change needs to be addressed? So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the reason I bring that up is because, you know, obviously we've had a lot of celebrities pass away. People pay a lot of attention to it. It gets a lot of attention on social media. But unfortunately, the one thing that doesn't get enough attention on social media or just in our mainstream discourse is is issues that are like planetary issues that are being caused in some way by climate change. And it seems like a lot of times we focus on, you know, the death of a celebrity or, you know, the the that somebody that we care about who makes music who's very sick or who might have a drug problem. But we don't pay the same kind of attention to our dying planet. And by the time we realize that we need to be paying attention, it's like, oh, my God, it's too late. Like, we need to do something, but we, how come we weren't doing something or focusing on this before? So I bring this up because Australia's National Coral Reef uh, Coral Bleaching Task Force surveyed 911 coral reefs in the Great Barrier Reef, which is the largest coral reef on the planet, and they found at least some bleaching on 93% of the reef. Uh, now, the amount of damage varies um, from severe to moderate, but the bleaching uh, was the worst in the reef's northernmost sector, where virtually no of the coral reef escaped the bleaching. Between 60 and 100% of corals are severely bleached on nearly 316 reefs within the Great Barrier Reef, and nearly all of the northern half of the reef is bleached. The scientists who looked at this study also reported that based on diving surveys of the northern reef, they already are seeing 50% coral death. Um, By far, this is the worst bleaching that scientists have seen on the Great Barrier Reef, and Great Barrier Reefs, while Great Barrier Reef corals do have a mechanism to protect them if waters are warm beyond normal temperatures and then cool down again before a second warming occurs. But there's a point at which this crosses the bleaching threshold. And as the oceans continue to warm, um, the patterns that coral reefs normally go through will be less and less 
prevalent, which means more corals will be less able to cope with warming temperatures and they too will die. As our climate continues to warm due to human activity, it will have a great impact on our oceans and on all life on the planet. On that note, we have a great person on the phone to talk to us about this issue. His name is Dr. Noah Diffenbach. He's an associate professor and senior fellow at the Stanford University. He is currently the editor-in-chief of the peer-reviewed journal of geophysical research letters, and he has served as lead author for the working group of the Intergovernment Panel on Climate Change, which is the IPCC, and has provided testimony and scientific expertise to the White House. Uh, good morning, or actually good afternoon, uh, Mr. Uh, Doctor, did I have this right? Dr. Diffenbach, correct? Uh, correct. How you doing? Great. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, it's uh, morning out here in California. Oh, That's perfect. what I was going to say. It's really early over there. Excellent. So, uh, well, thank you for being on with us so early. And I want to start by, by asking you, did I get all of that information correct? And can you give us a more detailed explanation about what exactly is happening with the Great Barrier Reef? What does it mean when we say that 93% of the reef is bleached? Well, so what we're seeing uh, in the Great Barrier Reef, and actually, um, you know, around the world's oceans this year, is uh, massive bleaching of uh, corals. And you know, what this this word bleaching, you know, what it means is is that the you know the corals are actually um, what scientists call symbionts. So there's a, there's actually an animal and um, like a phytoplankton, which is really a plant, living together. And and the uh, so so the 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 plant is is photosynthesizing um, uh, and that's actually so there are actually two organisms living together and what the bleaching means is when the animal expels uh, the the phytoplankton uh, from its body and so you see these pictures of these uh, you know just all white. Uh, very light-colored-looking corals, very uh, few, if any, fish uh, on the coral reef, and, and that's what you see in these, in these bleaching events. So it's, it's not like Clorox bleach um, in the wash. Uh, it's actually, it, uh, it happens when, when temperature gets very hot, when the corals get stressed. Um, and so we're seeing that not only in the, in the Great Barrier Reef, but actually even more broadly uh, uh, around the, the the world's oceans this year, and uh, what this is, um, you know, there are a lot of effects that that contribute to this. But what we're seeing this year are these record high temperatures in the ocean. So, uh, 2015 was the warmest year we have on record uh, for the global temperature, and that's being felt really um, strongly in the ocean. And into 2016, now it's really. Um, it's been even warmer in 2016. You know, I'm going to get to the warming in, in just a second, but I wanted to ask you, what is the difference between when we say that the reef is bleached and when we see that the reef is is dead? Because I think that can sometimes be confusing to people. The way I understand it is that bleaching is the first step sort of towards reef death, and that, um, but that bleaching doesn't actually mean that the reef is dead. So I was hoping that you can clarify uh, for our listeners and for us what the difference is when we say something is bleached versus when we say that the coral reef is actually dead. Yeah, that's a great point. Because um, you know, actually, you know, corals do recover from these bleaching events. And the question really, for any one of these bleaching events in any part of the ocean, the, the real question is, will the corals be able to recover? And uh, even on one reef, some corals will be bleached and some won't. Some will recover and some will die. And, you know, what, what scientists are really concerned about is that these 
these events are happening in closer succession as the ocean warms. And the, one of my colleagues that you know, that studies corals, that goes out and and uh, you know swims with the corals. He described it like a forest. Um, like if you if you come and clear cut a forest, and then give another forty years for the forest to grow back, there'll be a forest there again. Whereas if you come through and, and clear cut every ten or fifteen years, you won't ever grow a forest. Right? There's not enough time for the tall trees to grow back, and that's kind of how he described the the issue with the corals right now is that the time that it takes to recover from one of these bleaching events is pretty long. And if the, the real concern is, is one, that these bleaching events are severe, which means uh, there's a greater risk that more of the corals will die, fully die during this bleaching event, but then also that because uh, the oceans are warming up so fast that they're much more likely to face these kinds of conditions again sooner in the future, that clear-cutting coming through. Uh, sooner in the future than if we didn't have global warming. Right. No, absolutely. Um, if you're listening, uh, I'm Melissa Fuchs. I'm here with Selena Hill and Tiffany Brown. We're talking to Dr. Noah Diffenbach, who is the Associate Professor and Senior Fellow at Stanford University. And we're specifically talking about the death, oh, I'm sorry, the bleaching of the Great Barrier Reef. Um, and, you know, a lot for a lot of people, we're, you know, I'm going to come back to the climate change thing, because for a lot of people, they struggle to understand why they should care about this issue. Um, they don't realize, like, what kind Kind of impact this would have on the planet as a whole. And on that note, I'm actually going to throw it to Selena and then to Tiffany. They have some follow-up questions for you about why people should really care about this issue. Selena? No, I mean, well, that pretty much did sum up my, my question because, you know, I'm reading about it and, you know, I'm someone like... I snorkeling is one of my favorite pastimes right so I feel like I, I like I feel connected to the ocean and I love it and I'm just imagining like you know when I've snorkeled over coral reef it's such a beautiful sight and I, I can't imagine something that you know nature has given us something that is the God given us just destroying it and I'm like you know for me that would be impactful but I'm not sure if other people who aren't from Australia or who don't particularly like the ocean would feel connected to this issue so can you tell us like what some of the effects might be? Well, you know, coral, coral ecosystems are really important for uh, life in the ocean, um, and so there's just there's the there's the fact of, of what it means for those ocean ecosystems. Uh, they're they're also important for humans in a lot of ways. Um, you know, there are a lot of uh, communities that rely on coral reef ecosystems for food uh, and for livelihood. Um, and and those those communities are are vulnerable to these kinds of environmental uh, stresses that can that can affect the the um, just the health of those ecosystems that they rely on. Uh, and then there's you know the the snorkeling, like you mentioned, that it actually the ecotourism is actually a very big source of income to a lot of these um, these countries where these coral reef ecosystems are, and uh, that's. That that's a non-trivial impact, right? That's a real impact. If uh, you know, because of that economic input from um, people coming from around the world to experience these these ecosystems, and so the loss of those ecosystems has economic implications for those communities. Out, you know, in addition to to the to the um, the local subsistence from from food and um, on those reefs. So there's certainly, from the human perspective, uh, there's a lot right. of reasons to care about those ecosystems. I think the other the other important point is that these are this is really an indicator of 
you know, what scientists have been um, predicting from climate change for, for a long time and what we've been seeing in a lot of different ecosystems. It's really that these extreme events are where uh, we really are feeling the impacts of, of global warming. And this isn't right. something that's uh, way down in the future 100 years from now. It's something that we're already seeing from the global warming authority. Right, and we're definitely going to talk more about global warming and climate change. But one of the things that you mentioned was the tourism aspect. And I just wanted to say that the reef's tourism sector actually employs 64,000 people. So we don't need 64,000 people out of a job. And that's just the Great Barrier Reef. That's not other reefs in the Caribbean. Tiffany? Oh, yeah. So my question is, like, do you see that there is going to either be some sanctions or limitations on the tourist industry in those areas? And how would that impact, you know, the economy uh, in those uh, those areas that you don't really benefit from, you know, uh, snorkeling or like cruise lines or you know, like deep diving and things like that? Well, there's certainly a lot of people that are. Um, you know, working hard to try to figure out how to make these ecosystems sustainable, and it's important to keep in mind that it's not just—it's not just um, ocean temperature and 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 climate change that are affecting these these systems. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of stresses. Uh, there's the 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 actual tourism itself actually can be very stressful for these systems, and um, you know, sort all of the all of the people. Uh, kind of kicking, <laughs> kicking their fins at the corals uh, as they're uh, as they're uh, snorkeling, right? That, that that has a really direct impact. Um, all the activity on land uh, that that brings sediments into the into the coastal ocean brings nutrients, um, say from farming, fertilizer being applied. So there's a lot of different dimensions to the problem, uh, and each of these is kind of an additive stressor as, as scientists say so you can think about kind of sums on a scale right if you have um you know we keep adding weight to the other side of the scale with all of these different stressors uh, so um you know the the it's really about the thresholds and that's what we're seeing here is we have we have ecosystems that are already stressed and then they're experiencing a, a an environmental you know experience environmental conditions in terms of the ocean temperatures that are outside of anything that they've experienced uh, in in recorded history. Right. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to talk more about climate change, about the bleaching of the reef, and about what maybe we could do to reverse course. Um, And so we will see you in just a few minutes. And we are back. So my name is Alyssa Fuchs. I am here with Tiffany Brown and Selena Hill. And we are speaking to Dr. Noah Diffenbaugh from Stanford University about climate change and the Great Barrier Reef. If you have a question or a comment, feel free to call us at 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio, or you can leave a comment on Politically Preposterous fan page, and we will try and get it on the air. Uh, So, uh, Dr. Diffenbaugh, we've been talking a lot about the reef and the bleaching. Um, and I know you've mentioned multiple times about the increased water temperatures. Um, so a lot of people have said that there is a link between, and a lot of studies have been done, uh, that show that there is a link between the rising water temperatures, the bleaching of the reef, and global climate change. Um, However, there's been other people have attributed this to uh, an El Nino event and say that it is isolated um, and that it is not as directly linked to climate change as uh, some other scientists are saying. So my question to you is uh, specifically, is this linked to global warming climate change um, and how do we know that? What studies have been done? And maybe you can fill us in on some of that information. 
Well, you know, both of those scientific perspectives that you that you just stated are actually true. I mean, um, you know, in terms of what's contributing to this year, right? So we know that you know a lot of the ocean is is really really warm this year uh, because of the El Nino event, and it's not just any El Nino event, it's a really strong El Nino. And what El Nino is, is it, it's really just a, it's a measure of the how warm the water temperature is in the tropical Pacific Ocean. But because the, the, uh, the, the atmosphere and the ocean circulate globally, everything's connected. And El Nino, when there are these years with really warm waters in the tropical Pacific, uh, they affect the the ocean atmosphere around the world, and so that's what we're experiencing right now. Um, but it's also true that uh, temperature is going up uh, in you know regardless of whether it's an El Nino year or not. And so what we're experiencing this year is are the additive effects of both a really really warm El Nino year and the long-term trend of global warming. And so it's really not an either-or question. It's really a question of what does it take to, to get to these extreme thresholds uh, that, that these corals are experiencing, and, or frankly, that we're experiencing in California during this drought with, with record warm temperatures, and, and that lo- a lot, lots of the globe, the, the, gar- the Arctic is experiencing record low sea ice this winter, record high temperatures. Right? So we're seeing this around the globe, and it's, it's not a question of is it, is it that it's a really outlier year, or is it that there's a long-term trend? It's really that when you have both of those together, uh, you, you get these really extreme conditions. Uh, what we do know from, the, from these areas, um, particularly in the tropics, where, where a lot of these, these tropical coral ecosystems are, is that the, the warming has really been um, large historically compared to the the level of variability. No, you're absolutely right about that, doctor. And I just wanted to add to um, in India, we had a, a we saw a huge heat wave last year that killed dozens, hundreds of people. Um, and you're right. So the, the effects are obvious. It's blatant that the you know ocean life is dying, people are dying, our our, our nature, our environment is dying, and it's like like you said, climate change is very real. Science backs it up. Um, and it's time for us to act. What do you say? I mean, what do you think as an environmentalist and an activist in this front? Um, what is one of the biggest challenges in actually taking some steps to fight against climate change? Not, you know, some things are reversible. We need to act now. What do you think that the biggest obstacle is right now to, to get that done? Well, the first thing I should say in answer to that question is that I'm uh, a scientist and a professor. Oh, excuse uh, I am me. Not, I'm not an environmentalist and I'm not an activist. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm spe- I spend all my time trying to figure out what's going on in the climate system. You know, how, the, okay. how, how does the world work? So I just want to be clear about that. Uh, you know, really it's a, you know, the, what any individual citizen or what any, any individual country decides to do is really that, that's a matter of choice. What is clear is that we know that, that climate change is happening. We know that uh, humans are the primary cause of that climate change that's happening. And we know that the more uh, that we continue to emit greenhouse gases, uh, the more global warming and climate change that we'll have. Um, so, you know, the Paris uh, Agreement in, by, the, by the UN that, uh, you know, was, was uh, agreed upon in, in Paris in December and, and now has just been... Um, Ratified by uh, by uh, the UN um, nations uh, just recently, um, 
you know that that's a that's a really big step because what that agreement does is it says that the that the world community is committed to uh, transitioning from the current uh, energy economy that we have, which is based on fossil fuels, to to a new energy economy that that uh, is not based on on these carbon intensive um, energy sources, but instead is uh, is a carbon free energy economy. And that's really the bottom line is what it's going to take to stop global warming from happening is uh, to have a stop emitting greenhouse gases to the atmosphere. There's not really any way around that. And that's a big challenge because we get a lot of benefit from consuming energy. I get a lot of benefit from consuming energy. Um, People all around the world get a lot of benefit from consuming energy. And really where we have really abject poverty uh, around the world, it's it's linked very closely to lack of access to, to modern energy resources. And so I think the real question uh, is how do we ensure, um, you know, a, a, a standard of living, a level of well-being, uh, which does require access to energy? How do we ensure that for all people in the world while uh, minimizing the amount of global warming and climate change that we have? Absolutely, right. absolutely. Tiffany? Uh, uh, thank you uh, for bringing up the point about um, abject poverty, and especially when we talk about um, when it comes to environmental concerns. And what would you th- what would you suggest be the best way to talk about these issues, let's say, to like a group of like inner city children? Because I feel like a lot of times when you talk about the environment, it's very much, you know, almost like abstract. You know, you're talking about the coral reefs or you're talking about, you know, like the bees. But how can you really break it down so people can understand, like I said earlier, the urgency of... Of this issue and why we need to be invested, whether you are a kid from Brooklyn or, you know, you live along the coastal line of, you know, the coral reefs? Well, you know, that's a, that's a great question. And, and what we see when we look just objectively at, um, at the data, uh, there, there's really a, a very high correlation between poverty and vulnerability to, to the climate system and also vulnerability to um, pollution from energy, uh, from the energy um, economy. So a couple of examples. Um, you know, I live here in the Bay Area. We have many of the richest people in the world live here. Uh, we have, you know, this enormous engine of, of not only innovation, but of economic activity. And we also have a huge disparity in, um, in well-being and in, in access to um, to healthcare and and uh, just and, and we and frankly you know we have we have a lot of poverty here in the Bay Area, and where we have we also have um, we have energy uh, we have some energy infrastructure we have oil refinery here in the East Bay and it is you know it's located right in one of the poorest communities in the in the Bay Area and they have real environmental health problems from being uh, next to this oil refinery. So that's one example where this modern Kind of the way we do energy business actually has big health effects, and and those health effects are are concentrated where uh, where there's the least resources to uh, to deal with the problem. We also know that from like extreme climate events like heat waves, you described the situation in India, heat waves, floods, um, you know, those those extreme events that that people that have um, poor people who have less money have less uh, resources to protect themselves, right? So you can imagine living in a thatched hut versus, uh, you know, a, a reinforced house uh, like mine, for example, right? When the, exactly the same, um, you know, heavy rainfall happens, exactly the same high wind happens, 
uh, I'm I'm going to be safer in my house than someone living living in a thatched hut. Absolutely, that's that's a great point. And actually, I just wanted to make a comment about poverty. You know, we talked about poverty and access to energy at the same time. Um, the other side of that coin is when we see global warming events, um, we see like droughts and disruptions in the food supply. Those lead to displacements and those kinds of things. The impacts of global warming are also definitely felt um, more by people who live in poverty, which is related to what the doctor just said, than they are to people who have money. So it's another place where there is a class divide. And a lot of times where we see class divides, we also see race divides because of the way that class and race intersect together. So I think we should definitely keep that in mind when we're talking about access to energy, but we're also talking about the effects that global warming has on uh, the planet and on the people of the planet. On that note, I'm actually going to go to ask you our last question, uh, doctor. And then I'm going to, after you answer the question, I'm hoping that you could just give our listeners some information on where they can find out more about this issue, uh, which is, is there anything we can do? I know we already mentioned reducing greenhouse gases. I don't want to get into the things that we can do to, to stop global warming particularly, um, but I want specifically to ask about the reef. Is there anything um, other than just, you know, trying to reduce global climate change that we can do about the reef specifically, um, and or is it too late? And if so, if there is something we can do about the reef, what is it? Um, and obviously, uh, presuming we already know that we need to reduce greenhouse emissions in order to lower uh, lower temperatures and, and to prevent global warming from progressing? Yeah, so there are people who are, uh, you know, trying to figure out, um, you know, solutions that can really be, you know, put in place locally. And actually, I have a colleague here at Stanford that's working on understanding the genetics of the corals that survive these kinds of bleaching events, because there are corals that that do survive them. And so he's trying to figure out what the genetics are and then see if, if you know, you can repopulate reefs with those uh, with those kinds of corals that have uh, more resistance to to these kind of bleaching events, and that so that's really promising. Um, you know, also how how we uh, you know protect reefs um, in terms of where there's where there's really intensive fishing, where there's intensive tourism, uh, conserving some some um, areas that that uh, can be preserved. You know, that don't get as much stress because it really is the additive stress of high temperature and ocean acidification and uh, people kicking at the corals and sedimentation from land use. So having some areas that are conserved uh, and isolated is going to make them more resilient to these kinds of environmental effects. Uh, so there are, there are kind of both from the conservation point of view and from the um, kind of re, repopulation or restoration point of view, there are, there are some promising possibilities. Uh, if people want to learn more, certainly for the Great Barrier Reef situation, the the uh, the, the Australian government has some great information, um, and uh, and the universities down in Australia, those are available online. Uh, also, you know, climate.gov here in the U.S. for the for the issues of um, climate change uh, here in the U.S. Uh, you know, the 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 current uh, administration has done a, a lot. Uh, on this issue. Uh, there's a lot of information available at climate.gov, um, and that'd be a great place to start. Thank you so much, Doctor. We really appreciate you coming on and having this conversation with us. Um, on that note, 
you know, I, I spoke at the beginning about how we pay a lot of attention to to the to celebrities and to people we care about, um, but a lot of times we don't pay attention to our own planet. And our planet, unfortunately, happens to not be in such good shape right now. And we really need to pay attention to this issue of climate change and to deal with these problems as soon as possible, or we're going to continue to change our planet beyond a point where any human life is going to be able, able to be sustained. As we know, whether you're religious or you're not religious, most people would say that life is a gift. And the fact that we are able to live here on this blue planet when there are so many things like temperature going up or down one degree over amount of time in a certain direction would lead to the extinction of all life on the planet. So we're really, really privileged to have this wonderful planet where we all live and we have to care about it and we have to be concerned about it. At least 19% of all the world's coral reefs are already gone. Some 50% of those in the Caribbean are gone. An additional 15% of our coral reefs could be dead within the next 20 years, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Atmospheric Administration. Scientists are warming, warning that if global warning continues unchecked, all of the coral reefs could be extinct within the next 100 years. That may not be in our lifetime, but that's in your children's lifetime, in your grandchildren's lifetime, and you want to be able to leave your children and your grandchildren a better planet. You know what else? Do you like seafood? Because I might not, but I know many people that do. <laughs> this um, is like, I don't, but you probably but you don't. might. And you know what? Coral reefs are a big part of the foundation of our ocean food chain and on our food chain as a whole. Nearly half of the fish in the world that we eat make their homes around coral reefs. Hundreds of millions of people worldwide and over one billion people across Asia alone depend on coral reefs for their food and for their livelihoods. A complete collapse of the marine ecosystem would be absolutely devastating to global food supplies. It would cost us millions of food supplies, millions of jobs. It would affect ocean fisheries that provide direct employment to at least 38 million people worldwide and an additional 162 million people throughout the world that indirectly make a living involving the coral reefs, whether it's through tourism or through the food supply. Or in addition, some types of coral and marine species rely on reefs are being used by the pharmaceutical industry to develop possible cures for cancer, cancer, sorry, arthritis and other viruses. Reefs are precious sources of food, medicine, and livelihood for hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. And while I said, while this may, you may feel that this doesn't affect you directly, it does, and it's affecting your children and your grandchildren, and we need to do something to deal with global climate change, and we need to do something to deal with it now. Because if we wait around and we pretend like this isn't affecting us, eventually we're going to reach a point where by the time we get our butt in gear and we want to do something, it's going to be too late. On that note, we're going to take a real quick break, and when I come back, I'm going to talk about another thing that pisses me off, which is people getting away potentially with bribery. 